1: Greetings, Buff fans from See You at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the See You at the Game website and your host for the See you at the Game podcast. With this episode, Brad Geiger and I will discuss the Buffs' come-from-behind victory over Arizona, with CU falling behind 13-0 early in the second quarter before rallying to a 24-13 win. Jarek Broussard had 301 yards rushing, winning his second Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Week honor, as the Buffs did just enough to secure the win, a 4-0 record, and a number 21 national ranking in the Associated Press poll. We will also discuss the other Pac-12 game results from last weekend before turning our attention to the conference games of the week. And our TIPS, which again stand for T for talent, I for intangibles, P for preparation or scheduling concerns, and S for statistics, for the Buffs' Friday night matchup, against Utah. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the See You at the Game podcast wherever you find your podcasts. And of course, check out the See You at the Game website, which is updated multiple times each day to give you the latest information on the Buffs. Can the Buffs defeat the Utes for the first time in four seasons and put themselves in position to play for a Pac-12 championship? Let's find out. Okay. We are recording our first December CU at the Game podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Brad Geiger. How are you doing today, Brad? I am very good. It's somewhat interesting to be rooting for CU Games deep
0: into December. So this is new territory for all of us as 2020 has been in so very many ways.
1: Yes, the... <laughs> The undefeated Buffs in December, which has happened all of three times in history. Quick quiz, what are the other two seasons that Colorado had an undefeated record in December? And if you go to see what the game at any time in the last couple of weeks, you'd know the answer to this question. Oh, and I, am,
0: I have I've read it and have now lost it completely.
1: <laughs> well, the first was the 1937 Byron Wizard White year when the Buffs were undefeated, went to... The Cotton Bowl, a very first bowl game for Colorado, which they lost to Rice. And then the other was 1989, the undefeated yes, that regular one I, that season. One I, should, I would have got. Yes, yes. Before going to the Orange Bowl and losing the national championship to Notre Dame. So, uh, yes. undefeated, untied, and unwanted, at least until this week in terms of the polls and everything like that. So, your Colorado buffs are now number 21 in the AP poll and number 22 in the USA Today coaches poll, and they got there by defeating the winless Arizona Wildcats, 24 to 13. We weren't too far off in the spread in the sense that we both had the Buffs winning by double digits, but would it be fair to say that neither one of us thought the game would unfold the way it did? Well, I mean, there were things that
0: unfolded exactly as we predicted. We predicted that Landman and Wells would have a big day and that they would have difficulty rushing against us. We predicted that uh, Jared Bersard could have a big week running against that team. We certainly would never have predicted that we would be down 13 nothing and look very outclassed for the first quarter of the game. That it was certainly untold and a bit
1: frightening. Yeah, I kind of – Envision my I think my pick was 31-14 and I kind of figured it'd be 14 to nothing Colorado early in the second quarter and maybe 17 to 3 or 17 to 7 at halftime and then Colorado would get another touchdown to really put the game away and then both teams would get kind of touchdowns and garbage time and really wouldn't matter but that would be the final outcome but yes it was 13 to nothing Arizona little less than two minutes into the second quarter. And then Arizona did not score the final 43 minutes as the Buffs scored the next 24 points. Of course, Jarek Broussard went for 301 yards. Yeah, it was interesting. Colorado had one play in the first three games over 50 yards. That was the Dimitri Stanley touchdown in the Stanford game and had four plays of over 50 yards. In this game. So it was certainly an interesting evening and stressful evening, but the Buffs did come away with the victory. So do we take more from the first quarter that the Buffs were overconfident or did not give Arizona as much credit as they deserved? Or where did that 13 to nothing deficit come from?
0: I think part of it is that this is still a team that's getting its footing on being undefeated. A team that is getting used to traveling wasn't a fluke. It wasn't turnovers. Arizona just flat out beat us there for that first quarter. What we did learn is the thing that we had suspected is that this team does not appear to panic. You can look at the sideline and try to tell if we are winning or losing based on Carl Durrell's facial expression and be completely unconvinced about what is happening. Um, yeah. and the team again seems to respond to that. They, there was no sense of panic. There was no sense of how do we come back from that. They just put their heads down and played the same game they've played. Yeah. Um, so mm-hmm. I think you can, you know, try to figure out how you get behind. And I'm sure that the coaching staff is trying to figure that out as well. I think part of it probably was the play calling. But what you can take from it is that these guys are just going to play the dang game.
1: Yeah. And it was an interesting first quarter, you know, with Arizona. Like you say, it wasn't a, a fluke. It wasn't a, you know, four yard drive after a turnover or block punt for a touchdown. They were just flat out playing better. And at one point, I like the win probability chart that they have on ESPN. You know, if you're charting the game or watching the game, there was a point when if you remember, the Arizona, they were already up 13 to nothing. We had them back at a third and 12 at their 13-yard line. And it looked like we were going to sack the quarterback, Will Plummer. He just threw up a prayer into double coverage, 45 yards downfield, 42 yards to be exact. And Brian Castile just made a ridiculous over-the-head over the, over the head catch, giving them a first down. And you're just like, okay, maybe this is not going to be Our night, if we can't stop them on a third and 12, and they have a basically a hail Mary that gets completed at that point, ESPN's win probability had Arizona at 84.6. And I think most of the Buff Nation would have agreed with it at that point, but the Buffs held and you know got the ball back on a punt, a 70 yard run. From Jarek Broussard put the ball to the 20, three yards from a three runs from Ashad Clayton for twenty or seventeen, two, and one. You know, made it a thirteen to seven game a couple minutes later, after another long run, now it's fourteen to thirteen with Ashad Clayton finishing off the drive again. And it was fourteen to thirteen at halftime. And you think we're up and going, and then the buff score early in the third quarter after uh Sam Neuer runs over 50 yards, gets the ball inside the 10-yard line, and then scores from the four. Okay, you think, okay, it's 21-13, and now it's just going to be a 35-13 game, which is what we expected. But Arizona hung around. It wasn't until Broussard broke loose on his final long run, and, of course, the Buffs didn't try really to score, just ran out the clock and ended up with a 19-yard field goal with two minutes to go to finally make it a two-score Advantage and finally give us some peace of mind. So, yeah, do we take from this the scary nature of the first quarter, or do we say, like you were talking about, Carl Durrell's team didn't panic. And Will, I think uh Nate Landman said after the game that the coach told him that even after the game said, well, I wasn't going to yell at you. I was just going to let you guys figure it out. And... That works out great when you win, of course, you know, and if you lose, then it's why weren't you getting on your team like you did with Neuer after you threw that second interception. But, yeah, it certainly has uh, all the trappings of the team taking on the personality of their coach, and we tend to like what we're seeing.
0: Well, and, uh, and again, that, that exchange
1: that was caught on the
0: sidelines between uh, Neuer and Darrell is a nice combination. Durrell was apparently calmly pointing out that one should not throw the ball directly into the arms of a defender, that if you're going to try to make that pass, you should arc it. And Neuer was responding as you would hope a quarterback would. You know, he was angry about having made that mistake. He was angry about being called on it. And, you know, obviously there was no bad feelings
1: or ill feelings following that, but there was coaching going on. Yeah. And
0: this team just they seem to accept coaching when it's necessary they seem to know who needs the encouragement or not I don't think anybody believes that there's a need to yell at Nate Landman at this point
1: <laughs> or, or Carson Wells his you know his roommate and tag team uh, both had double-digit tackles both had numerous tackles for loss it was uh, quite the display on the the defensive side of the ball I thought there's interesting point made that at one point Landman was out for several plays and there were three chunk plays by the Arizona offense nearly Landman came back in and the next thing you know they're turning the ball over on downs because they were stuffing the the team so Nate Landman certainly a Butkus award candidate certainly all Pac12 and if the Buffs keep Buffs keep winning and getting national attention you're talking All-American honors as well
0: well his numbers are just difficult to ignore so they get you in the conversation and then how he plays With a award named after Dick Butkus. If you want an inside linebacker, who's not afraid to stick his nose in anywhere he can get to um, his hit on Brightwell at the five, while that may not have been the most imaginative play calling possible, just, you know, it ended essentially the game. Yeah. And so, he is the kind of person, he's the kind of player that has to pop on film if you're paying any attention. And if you look at the numbers and everything else, yeah, he's, he is a first or second team
1: All-American. Yeah. Uh, if Colorado keeps, and of course Friday night's going to be a showcase since it's going to be a nationally televised game, and you'd assume some of the pollsters and some of the writers are going to be watching that game because there won't be any competition so it really will be a, a showcase not only for Landman but for the entire Buff team. And we're going to talk about Utah and the game coming up on Friday, but first I want to go back and take a look at the Pac-12 games from last weekend because really all but one of really bears note. First you had both Washington and Oregon being upset. Stanford, the team without a county, was on the road playing in Seattle and took out the Huskies 31-26 to give the Washington its first loss. It was 31-16 going into the fourth quarter. Washington made a run, made it 31-26, but Stanford really dominated much of that game. Meanwhile, Cal, winless Cal, took it to Oregon. And I have to admit, I only saw highlights of this. These games are going on largely when the CU game is being played. So, had to go back and look at them. But twenty-one seventeen Cal upsets Oregon, giving the Ducks their second consecutive loss and basically throwing the North into turmoil. Any thoughts on those two upsets other than the fact that nobody would have predicted either one would happen?
0: Well, they're just nearly inexplicable. We saw that Stanford team. They're not that good. There was no reason to believe Cal was. Are those two teams better than we thought? I guess maybe, uh, but it certainly sh- seems to be that Washington and Oregon are not as good as we thought. And while they both perhaps are considered to be ranked teams, uh, they bottom line is they're not. They didn't show much, and it is perhaps the weird season that we have. But the Pac-12 is packed in the middle. Everybody seems to be about the same.
1: Yeah with the possible exception of USC, which seems to have gotten its act together. But, yeah, it uh, certainly makes you think more. I mean, you look at the message boards, and I should probably stop doing that. But, you know, all the nitpicking and, you know, Sam Neuer is not a good quarterback. And, oh, and, yeah, he had a bad game, and he's the first to admit it. But the fact that CU keeps winning, they beat Stanford, the team to beat Washington. They beat UCLA, which is playing very well. Of late, So each win that CU puts on the board looks more and more impressive as we go. The UCLA game ended up uh, 25-18. It was a weird game. UCLA went up 17 to nothing. Then Arizona State scored the next 18 points. UCLA scores a touchdown in the final minute with an interesting, I don't know if you saw that, play. But the UCLA running back, uh, I think it was Fenton, was – trying not to score and the Arizona state players actually pushed him into the end zone because there was about a minute left and it was an 18 17 game at the time and they didn't want UCLA just running out the clock and kicking a field goal to win the game. So they actually pushed the running back into the end zone. So that's the kind of games you get in the PAC 12, uh, in 2020, in 2020. <laughs> and I don't know if I've got some people have made comments. I put in a poll, you know about talking about that game that the winner of that game would be anointed as the number two team in the Pac-12 South heading into 2021. With the idea being that Utah's been struggling, Arizona's at the bottom, USC of course will be picked number one, and there's no way that even if CU runs the table, that C is going to be picked to be the number two team next spring when they do the preseason magazine. So. To me, it was UCLA now will be the anointed number two team heading into next summer, and Arizona State will probably be three and Colorado will be four. Even after Colorado went 10 and two, well, eight and one in conference and 10 and four for the whole season, in 2016 and the 27 media poll for the Pac 12, Colorado was picked to finish fourth. So, If you want to know who's going to be number two, you have to look no further than the UCLA Arizona State game and UCLA won. So, guess what? UCLA is going to be the number two team next year. I do want to talk about the other game that I'm not going to talk too much about was the USC game against Washington State. That was 35 to 6 at halftime and not worth watching. 38 to 13, the final. The other game that we care about, Utah beat Oregon State 30-24. to 24. Did you uh, have a chance to see any of that game, and did you have, have any impressions of that game?
0: Did not spend a great deal of time watching that, although I have reviewed the highlights. Uh, I think the thing to remember is that it was a very different Oregon State team than the one that beat Oregon, including, the, of course, the Oregon State's starting quarterback had been injured in the bizarre finish of the Oregon, Oregon State game. And the best or second-best running back in the conference, Justin Jefferson, was did not play either. So that's a very different Oregon State team coming off of a massive win with injuries and going to Utah. What little I saw, it was a disjointed game. Neither team ever got any kind of good momentum going. It was a bit difficult to figure out who really was the better team there.
1: Yeah, and... One thing I took away from it, and I I'm, I'm I only watched the first half because it was at one of those 8.30 p.m. kickoffs, and I had some writing to do for the See You at the Game website, that Utah had a 30, what would it have been, 30 to 14, something like that lead going into the fourth quarter, and Oregon State not only scored two touchdowns to come back into the game, but had the ball twice in the final minutes to have a chance to take the lead and turn the ball over on downs. So, yeah, Oregon State, even without its starting quarterback, and, yes, without its starting running back, who is probably, like you say, either the first or the second, depending on where you rank Jarek Broussard, running backs in the conference was not available. So hats off, really, to Oregon State for hanging in there and making a comeback, So we'll talk a little bit more about the Utes when we do our little tips, our little preview, but before we do that, I'd like to get a few comments on what we have coming up in the Pac-12 that are not CU related. You've got also on Friday night the Territorial Cup, Arizona, Arizona State. You would think that if Arizona has any fight in them, they'll take it against Arizona State, but basically it's 0-4 against 0-2, and, and you would think that Arizona State's going to just take it to Arizona, but again, that's what you thought we would do. On Saturday, couple of games that are of particular interest to Colorado fans, in the afternoon, Washington at Oregon. One of those teams is most likely. There's some scenarios where Washington State could sneak in there, but I think... You're looking at Washington, Oregon is going to be whichever team wins that game. Certainly if Washington wins, they would be four and one. They would be the Pac-12 North champion. And then the big game as far as CU fans are concerned, 530 Mountain Time, ABC, USC traveling to play UCLA. The other games, Cal at Washington State, Stanford, again on the road against Oregon State. So, if you had your druthers, figuring that Colorado, if the Pac-12 doesn't change its policies, probably owner
0: has reported uh, will not happen.
1: Yeah, so that in all likelihood, assuming either USC wins and Colorado wins, or both of them lose, that Colorado will play the loser of the Washington Oregon game. Any thoughts or preferences there? challenging one. Well, I mean, um, if you asked a month ago, you'd say, I don't want to play either one, you know, because right. both of them were ranked teams. Both of them were thought to be potential. Even two weeks ago, Washington was thought of as being the dark horse for the college football playoff. Oregon was the prohibitive favorite to win the conference. Now Oregon's lost two games in a row. And if CU doesn't make it to the Pac-12 title game and Oregon loses to Washington, they'll be playing CU with a three game losing streak. Uh, and Washington looked very human against Stanford, a team that Colorado beat. There is no reason,
0: with the perhaps exception of USC, which is a scenario we will never get to know. So you should be terrified of any of these schools. Well, Our defense that. can play with them. Now, obviously, you're more concerned about Oregon or Washington because they throw more. And CU remains young in the secondary. And so those are concerning. But that said, there is no
1: objective to reason to believe that CU is not as good as any team in this conference. Well, if the odds play out, I mean USC is only like a three-point favorite. Colorado's like a anywhere from one to three-point favorite over Utah. Oregon's the home pick against Washington. If all those games play out, then USC would be. Playing Oregon and Colorado would be playing Washington, uh, Washington, who is what team which is playing for the first time on the road. They play all their games at home. They got the games that were canceled were road games, so they got to play all of their games at home until this weekend. So a little different for the Huskies. Maybe they'll have to travel to Colorado. They're a three and two team, and Colorado's four and one. But uh, we'll we'll go with the idea that everybody wins. There is a scenario, of course, where Colorado wins, USC wins, and Oregon wins, that the Pac-12 championship will involve an undefeated USC team and a two-loss Oregon team, while Colorado undefeated Colorado, ranked Colorado, would be playing in the the backup game against a a two-loss Washington team. How upsetting does that bother you? Is that just the way it is? We live in a world of divisions. I know that
0: Joel Klatt has been all over the airwaves objecting to the fact that divisions in this case are going to result in some level of what he perceives to be injustice. Injustice is the way of the world in college football, even in not 2020. So we have established these divisions. and. That is what we live with. Now, of course, it would have been great for CU to get to play USC head-to-head
1: so that the best team could be determined. But you know, at some point, the rules be the rules. Yeah. Um, I'm not deeply disappointed. I don't think
0: the winner of the Pac-12, no matter who it is, is going to play in the college football championship. Mm-hmm. Um, and guessing bold games at this point is a somewhat of a ridiculous exercise. So I guess the only thing that would concern me is that if CU were to say play USC for the actual Pac-12 championship, their chances of going to a bowl would probably be
1: increased, and that is always of value to a team. Well, and now the fifth Pac-12 affiliated bowl has canceled. The LA Bowl is now gone, along with the Holiday Bowl, the Red Box Bowl, the Las Vegas Bowl, and the Sun Bowl. So, Pac 12 is down to four bowl games. So, Colorado might need to beat Utah just to stay in a bowl position. There is a scenario there where you can imagine Colorado losing to Utah, losing to Washington slash Oregon, or whatever the Pac 12 deems to be their, well, would have been seventh, but their sixth game, finishing with a four and two record and not getting to go to a bowl game. So, there's a lot at stake, uh, not to mention CU's brand-new ranking. As mentioned, Colorado now 21st in the AP and 22nd in the USA Today coaches poll. Any thoughts as to Colorado being ranked? Does ranking Do rankings matter to you at all?
0: Do rankings matter to recruits? <laughs> because in the end, that's what it's about. Yes. You know, and that, you no, know, a bowl game is about visibility and about selling to recruits. Rankings are about visibility and selling to recruits. So, of course, it matters to yeah. that extent. Yeah. Um, you know, as a fan, I would love to watch see you play again in a bowl game. And I love seeing their name when the polls come out. Yes, it matters. And it matters in the long run in terms of who comes and plays here in future day, years. Yeah. It matters in our confidence in me. Coaching staff—it matters in shutting up certain writers at Boulder Daily Camera. So yes, it does matter.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I noticed in the the CBS Sports one to one twenty-seven rankings, Colorado was up to twenty, which makes them ninety spots higher than they were a month ago. When CBS Sports, before CU played its first game, had Colorado ranked one hundred and tenth in the nation out of one hundred and twenty-seven teams. So thank you, Dennis Dodd and CBS Sports. I do like some of the quotes from Carl Durell in his Monday press conference. He said, well, what you'd hope him to say, you hope that he'd say, but I mean from him you believe it. It sounds <laughs> not just coach speak, but it sounds genuine when he first talked about the different scenarios for playoffs and divisions and you know being undefeated and not getting invited here or there. And he said it doesn't matter if we don't beat Utah. But He's taking it one game at a time. He's got a team that's taking it one game at a time and they're going to take Utah, you know, very seriously. Um uh, plus he also said that uh yeah, rankings, he didn't specifically say rankings means recruiting, but he did say that having this publicity, having the notoriety helps with recruiting. So he knows where the the money comes from and that comes from winning and the winning comes from recruiting. So it's nice that he's drawing a straight line between Colorado's success and to success in future recruiting classes. It's hard to believe that we will be having a signing day next week. December 16th is the early signing day, and I am totally unprepared for that. After I get my essay or on Friday, after you I know, get my essay done Saturday morning, I can start preparing for signing day on Wednesday the 16th. But the, the nerd fan and me is excited about the rankings because Colorado, having wandered in the desert for the better part of the last 15 years, has fallen in the all-time rankings list. We were in the top 25 forever. CU is currently 29th with 305, counting this week, polls. West Virginia is right ahead of them at 306. Right ahead of that is Georgia Tech at 307. Virginia Tech is right at 309. So a couple more weeks of winning and Colorado can jump from 29th up to 26th. Oregon right now is hanging at 25th at 318. So we got some work to do because, you know, of course, next year Oregon will be ranked in the preseason and of course Colorado will not. But the, the nerd fan in me that's been tracking this stuff for 25 years is anxious to get Colorado back into the top 25 in all-time poll rankings. So right now we're at 305, ranked 28th. Uh, I'm sorry, ranked 29th. And if we beat Utah on a rank next week, we will tie for 28th with West Virginia at 306. So we've talked a little bit about the games coming up for the Pac-12, which leaves us with our tips with our, preparation for Colorado versus Utah in looking at Utah. And of course they lost to USC in their first game, their last Pac-12 well, the last team in FBS actually to get a game in. They waited till November 21st to get in their first game. Lost to USC pretty handily. And then in their second game, they weren't, you know, another loss. That was the 24-21 Washington game where they went on the road, had a 21 nothing halftime lead, and ended up losing 24-21. And then this past week, the the win over Oregon State at home, 30 to 24. What in looking at Utah in terms of the talent, in terms of the personnel, what stands out to you?
0: Once again, this is a this is not a, a quick. Break, a fast break team. They are somewhat similar to CU as, in that they want to grind it out. They want to run the ball. They are not going to try to beat you throwing deep. They have uh, not particularly succeeded in the fourth quarter. I don't know if, that mean, if that's in part because they're still trying to get their legs under them. Having started late, they're traveling again on a short week and one hopes that that has some impact on them. They're fine. Their defense is better, slightly better than fine. Their offense is perhaps slightly worse than fine. They're a very difficult team to categorize because they do a lot of things okay. They don't appear to do anything particularly brilliantly.
1: Yeah. Well, one name that stands out to me, and I just can't believe that we're going to have this name for three more games, Britton Covey. And this guy – we think Khalil Tate is a name that keeps popping up and you know haunting us. This guy played for Utah as a freshman in 2015, went on a Mormon mission 2016, 2017, played sporadically in 2018, 2019, got hurt, got a medical red shirt. So he's going to play Colorado as a red shirt junior this Friday can come back, play again as a redshirt freshman in 2021, and then play as a senior in, as 2022. So he's got potentially three more games against Colorado. This guy is on the eight years to play six plan, which when he's the type of player that, you know, he had a punt return for a touchdown. He had a reception for a touchdown in the Oregon State game. He's that kind of reception guy that he hits the third and 10 and gets 11 yards and they else have a tight end that does the same sort of thing. I'm going to get his name, Brant Kuthi, K-U-I-T-H-E, Kuth or Kuthi. He leads a team in receptions. He's another one of those tight ends that will get the extra yard and you know convert third downs, keep the chains moving. They're not a scary offense. Buff fans are complaining about the Colorado offense as far as passing is concerned. And true enough, Colorado right now is 11th in the Pac-12 in passing offense. Any guess as to who's 12th in the Pac-12 in passing offense? Uh, I think that would be
0: the Utah Utes.
1: That would be the Utah Utes. Jake Bentley, recycled South Carolina quarterback. He had 33 starts for Carolina before transferring to play his senior year at Utah. has not exactly torn it up. So they do have good running back. freshman. True freshman running back. start his first game against Oregon State had 167 yards, rushing on 27 carries. He looks a lot like Jarek Broussard without the knee braces and is certainly something to be scared of. So it's really kind of a mirror when you look at it that they're going to try and run the ball. They're going to try and control the clock. Their passing game is not scaring anybody, and they rely on a strong run defense. So these two teams match up pretty well in terms of what they're trying to accomplish now utah has certainly got the reputation as being physical on the lines and having a dominating run game and having a tough defense and that's kind of it looks to me or looks you know to everybody that that's kind of what carl durell is trying to create at colorado is the same sort of punishing rushing offense just enough passing offense and a defense that you know can suffocate you, and in the case of Arizona, hold you scoreless for the last 43 minutes.
0: Yeah, although Utah has given up 33, 24,
1: and 30. Yeah. Um, they're not as suffocating as they
0: perhaps have been in the past. I mean, their quarterback is completing 64% of his passes for a 6.3 yards average.
1: Dink The and receiver has yes. 16 receptions. Yeah, and that's the tight end. Um, yeah.
0: That is, that, is a, that is a team that is one-dimensional, and it is a team that CU is, and that is a dimension that CU has been more than competent at starting. I agree they are somewhat mirror teams, but based on what we've
1: seen this year, our mirror is clearer. <laughs> our mirror is clearer. Is that going to be a, something I can use for my essay on Saturday? You know, people will not get the reference. they say, listen to the podcast, but, you know, the, the mirror is clearer. Some other factors for the game, it's a late start. Utah has already played two 8.30 kickoffs. CU hasn't started later than 5 o'clock. And both of Utah's games, the two home games, both started at 8.30. The temperature kickoff for the USC game was 35 degrees. Against Oregon State, it was 30 degrees. And that's about what we're expecting for the 7.30 kickoff Friday in the Colorado-Utah game. So... Passing will be even more difficult if there are snow flurries and the temperature goes down, but you'd have to give the nod to Utah that two of the last three weeks they've played games in similar conditions, whereas Colorado, and again, you know, these players have played games in bad temperatures before. The 2018 Utah game was played in frigid temperatures, and of course that was a bad loss for Colorado, but at least in terms of this season, Utah has a little bit of an advantage in terms of preparation for a, a late night game with cold temperatures. Do you think that could play into the you know how the game would unfold? Not a bunch. I think I, the nice part is we will all probably get to bed early because I suspect it will not it be will, at least on the yes on the <laughs> clock on the wall it will be a fast game yes it will probably um, play less than three hours. You know
0: I again, CU doesn't rely on needing to be explosive through the air. And if you're going to have a late game, at least you're home. And you have kind of whatever we have for a routine in 2020, we can put it together. This doesn't feel like an intangibles kind of game. It feels like a two teams here to grind it out kind of game.
1: And the weather, I think, will comply with that. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, CU has more to play for. That Utah is one and two. Even if they finish three and two, even if they beat CU and win their crossover game next week, with only four bowls to pick from, there are already five teams with three wins in the Pac-12, and all three of all five of them have two more games to play. So it's hard to imagine a scenario where a three and two Utah team is going anywhere in terms of bowling. So this is it, you know that. Colorado has a lot more to play for. So if we're talking about 11 o'clock on a Friday night and it's 22 degrees outside, you would think that the Colorado bench would be more excited about the results than the Utah bench. I do have to throw you something that Dave Platy attached to his weekly email to the media. Advanced weather forecast, temperature in the mid thirties at kickoff, possible snow flurries. A reminder that due to COVID protocols as set forth by Boulder County, the windows of the press box must be open for airflow purposes. Dress warm. So while you're chastising the Boulder Daily camera writers, feel free to recognize the fact that they will not be in a warm press box to watch the game. There will be air temperature in the press box. So no sympathy, I guess, for the the working press at this game. They're going to be cold while we're sitting at home at 72 degrees. So, prediction wise, well, we've got uh, a couple of teams that Utah's won the the last 3. Utah's won the Pac-12 South the last 2 years. Utah's won most of the games that the two teams have played since joining the Pac-12. Certainly Utah has the better reputation coming in. How do you see it playing out Friday night? It didn't matter how many times UCLA had
0: beaten CU. It didn't matter that Arizona had a winning streak against CU. This is a team at home with a lot to play for. That is, we can now see better. And I think this will play out as better. Um, I think it will probably take a little time. I suspect the first half will go quickly and not in terms of highlights be all that exciting, but this feels like CU pulling away in the fourth quarter to a 27-14
1: Twenty-seven, fourteen win. Wow. Okay. Well, last week I was more optimistic, and this week you were more optimistic. I have the concern with the the Britton-Cubby factor. You know, a special teams gaffe in a game this close could certainly play a role. I actually think it was a break that Colorado fell behind Arizona, thirteen to nothing if Colorado had gotten out to the 13 to nothing lead against Arizona and coasted to a win, we don't know how they would have reacted if they fell behind Utah 13 to nothing, if they would have had the same ability to come back. And fortunately, Arizona was not a team that could put Colorado away. And you mentioned, you know, talking about Utah not playing well in the second half, they scored seven points in the third quarter in three games and seven points, in the fourth quarter in three games there, been a first half team, they've only scored two touchdowns in three games in the second half. So if Colorado doesn't shoot itself in the foot, like we did against Arizona and just slowly gets their act together, Utah might not want to stick around in the cold at 11 o'clock on a road game. And Colorado will, as you say, find a way to get it done. Uh, I think this is going to be super close. I think it's going to be very low scoring. Uh, if either team gets to 30 points, it will be because of pick sixes and punt returns for touchdowns. I don't see either team being able to create as much as 30 points. But I have it Colorado 24, Utah 20. So I see it as a real close game. Fingers crossed. Every game sees played has come down to the last half of the last quarter. And I think there's a very good chance that that could happen again. So I hope you're right. I hope that at 11 o'clock on Friday night, we're sitting back having a beer, enjoying the Buffs, clinching at least an undefeated, if you want to call it, quote-unquote, regular season, picking up win number five. But I'm, I'm afraid it might come down to a fumble might come down to a long field goal, something that's gonna you know make a, a make or break in the last quarter. So, any final words before we send everyone back to the real world and wait for seven thirty FS FS one on Friday night? I think the reminder
0: is, as it always has been, is that we've already exceeded expectations. Yeah. So no that doubt. does not mean we cannot be disappointed if
1: it doesn't go better. But we should recall that there is much to build on in this team. I think that's a, a good way of putting it. In. If you had offered CU fans a 4-3 and three record a month ago, everyone would have bought into it and been super excited about having a winning record. But a 4-3 and three record would mean losing to Utah, losing a cross-divisional game, and losing a bowl game. And, of course, that would certainly be disappointing at this point when you're 4-0, you don't want to go 4-3. But, yeah, this has been an exciting season, guaranteed winning record for only the second time since 2005. Hard not to be happy about it, hard not to be excited about this team and excited about the future of this team. So thank you, Brad. I look forward to talking with you again soon about our – Dear old CU. Go Buffs. Thank you for listening. It's been a great run watching our Buffs pick to finish fifth in the Pac-12 in the preseason media poll, rise to challenge for a Pac-12 championship. As always, your comments and suggestions are welcome. My email address is seewiththegame at com. Looking ahead... Early next week, the podcast episode will not only review the CU Utah game and preview CU's next opponent, but will give you a first look at the CU Recruiting Class of 2021. As a reminder, on the CU at the Game website on Wednesday, December 16th, there will be wall-to-wall coverage of the CU Recruiting Class. For those of you who have not been with the website on signing day, it is the busiest single day of the year. There will be updated biographies of all the new sea recruits with the ticker giving you up-to-the-minute updates on signings. So whenever you get the chance to check in during your workday next Wednesday, you will know that you have the latest information on your buffs. It's going to be a busy next few weeks for your buffs. I hope you're enjoying the ride and we'll be back next week for our next episode. Until then, be well, stay safe. And go Buffs!
0: Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to seeyouatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time, when we will again see you at the game.